0: Degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. Ha, ha, 360 degrees. Ha, ha, 360, 306, 360 degrees. Ha, ha.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. This show is written, produced, and is broadcasting from Muchin, Occupy Ohlone territory, known to most settlers as the Bay Area. Six months after Hurricanes Irma and Maria, we continue the conversation about Puerto Rico or Borinquen and disaster capitalism. This time, we welcome Ricardo Ortiz, who will clarify the role of the Fiscal Control Board, or La Junta, in the progression of disaster capitalism measures. What is next to come, and what can we do about it? We will also speak with Daniel Orsini, member of the Center for Political, Educational, and Cultural Development, about how Boricuas are decolonizing health food, education, and more. All that and great Boricua music from Manicato tonight on Full Circle. I am your host and Hurricane Maria survivor, Laura Boricua Echegaray. Stay with us. Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM in Berkeley. We just crossed the six month anniversary of Hurricanes Irma and Maria in Borinkin, the island's indigenous name. Mainstream news quotes government officials assuring us that ninety five percent of the electrical grid is restored. Roads and bridges are repaired, life in metropolitan area is back to normal. So come and spend your next vacation in La Isla del Encanto. Yes. They will mention the sudden rise in mental health problems, the doubling of suicide rates, and the numbers of doctors, nurses, and all sorts of technicians that no longer serve the need of the population because they left Borinquen. They're not there anymore. A study by the City University of New York Center for Puerto Rican Studies estimated that after Hurricane Maria Almost 136,000 more Boricuas now live in the continental U.S. And all that is used as an excuse to close more schools and reduce services. If you're familiar with Naomi Klein's shock doctrine books, you will not be surprised with the way things are evolving. But to better understand how disaster capitalism measures keep choking the Boricua society, I thought we should slow down a bit and examine PROMESA. What is PROMESA? The law signed by President Obama and its consequence, the Fiscal Control Board or La Junta, as is mostly known in Puerto Rico. Tonight, we have with us Ricardo Ortiz. Ricardo is a product of the student movement at my alma mater, University of Puerto Rico. He has a bachelor's degree in labor studies with a minor in economics. Ricardo is also a former member of the CAWAS Workers Committee. He participated in workers' organizations in Puerto Rico during the 1990s general strike, as well as in several organizations in the U.S. East Coast. Here's Ricardo Ortiz. Welcome to Full Circle, Ricardo. Good evening. You know, we're very worried because as we follow the news about Puerto Rico, we hear more school closings, all the so-called non-essential teachers being fired in the middle of the semester. Workers are now facing new law where they stand to lose most of their sick days, their vacation days, their Christmas bonus. And they even are thinking of a law to criminalize protests. No, this is not somewhere else in the world. This is within the U.S. territory. They are trying to criminalize protests. And, Ricardo, how does this tie to the Fiscal Control Board, to PROMESA?
2: Mm -hmm. PROMESA is a piece of legislation that became a law and signed by President Barack Obama in the last year of his term. And this legislation... One of the provisions established this fiscal control board, which will oversee uh, the finance and the budget of Puerto Rico. This board can meet in secret. They have faculties to do recommendations for austerity measures. Their members are linked to the international financial system and organizations and institutions. One of the latest acts of this fiscal control board is that they, for example, they recommend reductions in the school system. And like you said, they have closed 300 schools during the last year and this year. And obviously, there are marches that have been done in San Juan. Some of these provisions of austerity, like you said, will cut the Christmas bonus, which is like a savings, and that will give them some extra money at the end of the year, This piece of legislation drafted by the governor of Puerto Rico by recommendation of the Fiscal Control Board also recommends that law number 80 of 1976, which guarantees that workers cannot be fired without a just cause. The employer has to prove reasons of value to fire a person. So with this legislation, will be easier to fire workers at will. Actually, a former governor, who is not a radical, actually is a very conservative former governor, Carlos Roberto Arcelo. he expressed that if this piece of legislation is approved, more than 100,000 workers could be losing their jobs. So obviously the trade unions and the social movements uh, oppose this. You know, this is part of the new panorama. And actually, I forgot something uh, very important. This executive director of the board, Ms. Natalie Yarezco, Mm -hmm. she is recommending tuition hikes at the University of Puerto Rico system. She's proposing that a credit would be $220, just a credit. So, you know, Puerto Rican students are poor, and these measures certainly will drive people out of college. And also, she's recommending that the University of Puerto Rico should not have all the campuses that the system has. She recommends that some of them, at least a couple, be closed.
1: That's going to be my brother losing his job. He works at Calle Campus. I have two brothers. They both work in the University of Puerto Rico, this is, again, what I think it is, is they're trying to get Puerto Ricans out of Puerto Rico.
2: Yeah, I mean, these are measures of disaster capitalism and the shock doctrine, which Naomi exactly. Klein mm-hmm. has explained and written about it. It has been done in third world countries. Puerto Rico is not the first case. These are international asset management companies and banks that are you know, affiliated to the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund... They demand that in order to pay the debts that our countries accumulate, they must privatize public services and government entities. And obviously, when uh, private companies do things for profit, one of the consequences is firing workers losing jobs and benefits. I want to mention something that is extremely important, at least in my opinion. Joseph Stiglitz, which is a Nobel Prize in Economy and he's the author of the Stiglitz Report order to make that report by the UN. Also, he wrote a book about the consequences of these measures. He criticized the Fiscal Control Board, and he said that this is an anti-democratic, that are all these measures that would create disaster in Puerto Rico. Those are the words of a prominent international economist. There you have it. Yes. <laughs>
1: So what connection do they have to this privatization of the electric company?
2: Uh, there are certain individuals that said that for sure they have a long history of being involved with privatization of assets and public energy corporations and other types of public property. It was announced that this person, Walter Higgins and that was named now the executive director of the Puerto Rican Energy Resources Authority. This man will be hired for a salary of $450,000 a year and has created an outreach. This person has a long history of dealing with privatization, administering energy companies throughout the U.S. and throughout the world. I'm going to mention a couple of places that he has been. He was the executive director of the South Jersey Gas Company And he's linked to a group called Ascendant Group, which is a financial assets group. If you look at Bloomberg Magazine and other financial specialized publications, this man has a long history of being involved with energy. And one of the recommendations that have been said by all this body of so-called experts is calling for the privatization of the energy resources company. You have, for example, as a member of the board, this guy, Andrew Briggs, which is a member of the American Enterprise Institute, which is a think tank that is always recommending so-called free trade, the elimination of public schools, etc. cetera. So this individual is in the fiscal control board. There is Mr. Carlos Garcia which is a former CEO of Bay Boston Managers Financial Assets that company belongs to him <laughs> actually you know uh, he's one of the main stockholders in this company Wait 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 wait
1: this fiscal board is like the big bad wolf taking care of the three little pigs
2: Yes definitely it's all people that believe in disaster capitalism and shock the three nine measures. That's what we have. It's sad because not only the Puerto Rican debt is being discussed and decided by this appointed board, mm-hmm. there is a core battle between the voucher bonds holders and the government of Puerto Rico and others in New York, in federal court. The presiding judge is a Judge Laura Swan, And she is a person that decides what funds will go. Actually, she authorized a loan to the Puerto Rican Resources Authority of three hundred million dollars. So a federal judge has the capacity of decide economic measures over the people of Puerto Rico, a non-elected official. It's a tragic history, you know. It
1: sounds more like illegal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is illegal. (laughs) But the paradox of this is that you have a judge running economy from afar. It's not even the district court on the island. It's a U.S. district court in New York Mm -hmm. appointed by the Supreme Court especially to deal with these matters. Unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is a colony, and actually the latest U.S. Supreme Court decision that demonstrated that Puerto Rico is a colony and has no really governing ability over itself is a decision called a Commonwealth versus Sanchez Valle, which determined that the Puerto Rican police and the court system cannot try a person accused of a crime if there is involved federal legislation. There is what is called double sovereignty in the states, that sometimes both the state and federal authorities have the ability to prosecute separately for something that happened. You can call it a crime. In this decision, the Supreme Court said that Puerto Rico has less autonomy, and less control of itself than Native American tribes. That decision is on the internet. You can assess it. And it's sad. That's how. Helpless is the Puerto Rican government. And also the legislature and the governor of Puerto Rico signed a law that would protect Puerto Rico from debtors. That was like a local bankruptcy court. And it was declared unconstitutional by US federal courts. So Puerto Rico cannot declare bankruptcy because it's not an state and also cannot negotiate a debt like a sovereign country because it's not a sovereign entity. It's a pathetic situation. It's under the absolute control of the U.S. Wow. Yeah.
1: So we're going to take a music break so we can at least digest a little bit of this (laughs) wonderful news. (laughs) I really appreciate you, Ricardo, for telling all of these. It's kind of hard to take. So let's take a break and we're going to come back.
0: Manicato viene ahora en calidad, sí señores, de traerles un saludo de gran amistad y amores. Manicato viene ahora en calidad, sí señores, de traerles un saludo de gran amistad y amores. Para que el mundo, Yemón, calmen sus dolores. Para que el mundo, Yemón, calmen sus dolores. La herencia africana, orgullo de la nación La plena del mambo enseña que lo diga San Antón Es nuestra herencia africana, orgullo de la nación Mali se la trae San Francisco, va para las masas, es la pena
1: You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM. I am your host, Laura Chegaray. You know, one of the traits Puerto Ricans are famous for is their resilience. And resilience comes to us through humor and music. The piece you just heard is titled Plena Pal Mundo by Chris Matos and his group Manicato. Plena is a rhythm born in the south of Borinquen Island. So no matter where in the world we are, when we hear it, we feel at home. Chris Matos is one of those Boricuas who's been traveling to the island and bringing supplies and solar technology to the mountain regions. We will have links to his efforts in the link section of our page, kpfaapprentice.org. We will post directly after the show. Now, let's continue our conversation with Ricardo Ortiz. Next, he tells us about the public employees' pensions in the era of La Junta in Puerto Rico and the privatization of the electric company.
2: Uh, Actually, you know, it's a lot of harm and disadvantages that the Fiscal Control Board is doing. Workers are losing their pension funds. Actually, the teachers practically lost their pension funds. Some people that have government pensions, their pensions have been reduced. All these privatization uh, measures definitely are not, you know, <laughs> giving any positive results. Actually, uh, Governor Padilla requested authorization for a loan because he was fearing that the Energy Corporation, Waters Resources Authority, the state pension fund, these institutions with face crisis. And this governor is not a socialist. He has never been an activist. And even him expressed his concern before he left office. So that, that must tell something, you know, to the people around the world.
1: Tell me more about the privatization of the electric company. What's going on with that?
2: Okay, yeah. This has been a period that uh, they have sent different uh, consultants to the island. Number one, they sent this specialist, a former World Bank official, an IMF official, called Ann Kruger. She was contracted by the government of Puerto Rico by suggestion of the government of the United States to come and perform supposedly an study on the Puerto Rican economy. And she recommended privatization and all these measures, Possibly, that's the way to deal with the debt, a way to pay the debt. Then, following her, it was this other consultant called Lisa Donahue, which actually earned $45 million for the administration of the Puerto Rican Energy Resources Authority. She was named as the executive director. She didn't solve anything. You know, so she left Puerto Rico because people were, you know, expressing outrage about this person being paid all these high salaries and doing practically nothing. And again, this is a former official and has a consulting company. I want to mention a little bit about Natalie Yaresco, uh, Yaresco, Mm -hmm. which is the executive director of the fiscal control board. Ms. Jaresko, she was appointed Minister of Finance of the Ukraine. She carried the largest project of privatization by the Western NIS Fund under the Agency of International Development. And actually, the AID has a notorious history linked with the Central Intelligence Agency. If anybody can research on that is welcome. So uh, this is a person that is running the fiscal control board. She will earn a salary of $600,000 a year. So uh, uh, you got an idea for how things are coming. You know, uh, this is an IMF, uh, World Bank design project. As I mentioned, Dr. Joseph Stiglitz, He's the author of a book called Globalization and Its Discontents. And he was, uh, curiously, a former World Bank official. Also, he worked in the Department of the Treasury. And this man has denounced uh, this type of austerity measures and denounced the policies that major so-called industrialized countries make in Africa, Latin America, and Asia in third world countries. So that must tell us a lot about these plans.
1: Wonderful plans. Are there any specific actions that you recommend us to take?
2: I want to say something about this legislation that the government of Puerto Rico wants to put into effect. Yes, they want to prohibit protests. Some legislators' opinions that this law should demand that people acquire permits before they protest, that they will be prosecuted or fined if they do occupy a public spaces. So, you know, these are measures to deter the public outrage.
1: I guess they know that they're <laughs> going to be discontent among the population.
2: <laughs> yes. You asked me about what do I recommend in terms of actions or uh, plans or, you know, any measures that the social movements should take. We have a long history of victories. We should focus on lessons from victories, not only in Puerto Rico, but throughout the world. In the 70s, we were able to kick out the American Navy out of the island of Culebra, which they had a shooting range. People were against it, and popular actions were able to kick out the Navy in central Puerto Rico, mining companies, as Kennecook, multinational corporations and Anaconda and others, attempted to exploit the wood, displace many habitats, and would destroy agriculture. People did organize and were able to frustrate these plants through popular power. Actually, I've been told that one of your relatives was involved in uh, these fights. That's true. My (laughs) own father. (laughs) Yes. So so, uh, we kicked the Navy out in the 2000s. We saved the island from the so-called green corridor that would put these plants transporting so-called natural gas throughout the island, displacing populations and polluting the country. And we were victorious. So there are many victories that we have achieved, and I want to say we should look around our region to get inspiration for successful efforts to deter privatization and austerity measures. Right there in the Caribbean, in the islands of Guadeloupe, Martinique, and the island of Reunion, which are French colonies, French government attempted to implement plans similar to the ones that are implemented in Puerto Rico. And the workers there and the people of these islands waged a general strike that lasted more than a month. And the French Empire in France had to negotiate directly with the population and they were able to fend off these measures. Even that the French government sent a military police and uh, other repressive forces. In Argentina, there was the Piquetero movements where they organized appropriate factories and the workers were participating in uh, initiatives. Right there, right now, in Puerto Rico, there are young people that are establishing these food uh, centers. There were people, workers from the Energy Resources Authority that repairing on their own. Uh, people from the civil society to repair on their own electrical lines, power lines, etc., So it shows that the people from the base, uh, the poor, the workers, we could run society from bottom to top. So as we waive successful fights in the past, definitely we can do it at present and in the future.
1: And I'm glad that you're talking about that because our next interview is with Daniel Orsini-Vélez. He is one of the members of the Center for Mutual Aid or Mutual Support in Caguas, your town. Mm -hmm. And he's going to talk about how are they starting a movement of mutual support. Mm -hmm. That is my biggest hope right now. So we're going to take a musical break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Daniel. Thank you so much for being (laughs) with us, Ricardo.
2: Thank you for inviting me to your program.
0: (laughs) Oiga, (laughs) todos, si están listos. Para el día de la paz Dale La mano A tu hermano Y apóyalo por Dios Para Para el bien De la tierra Y de la humanidad Todos Unidos Y todos Oh! momento
1: Welcome back to Full Circle on 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Laura Laborico Chegaray, and that was Chris Matos and his group Manicato with the cut Familia, who repeats the line La Revolución de Amor. That translates into the revolution of love, meaning that if we start treating each other like family, the world will surely be a better place and that is what the Centers for Mutual Support are doing in Borinquem. Next, we are joined by Daniel orsini veles Daniel is a member and organizer of the Center for Political Educational and Cultural Development, CDPEC, in Puerto Rico, the umbrella organization for the Centers for Mutual Aid, Let's learn more about how these projects are empowering Boricuas to satisfy their needs, working as a family would.
3: Well, in the Centro de Apoyo Mutuo, we are at this time giving basically two services. The one that we started with, it's a popular kitchen. Mm-hmm. We started the camp at the eighth day after Hurricane Maria. Um, we gave people seven days a week breakfast and lunches. We started serving, in, uh, in the first weeks, 150, maybe 200 breakfasts. And lunches, we were getting at the 400. So it was a very heavy uh, task. And after the situation, like, get better in terms of people getting a little electricity sometimes, and people getting their jobs back again, and situation getting a little bit more normalized. Uh, we start giving also health services, uh, specifically acupuncture in the ear. It is called auriculotherapy. Myself and five other organizers of the Centro de Apoyo Mutuo are auriculotherapists. Now we are giving clinics. Two days a week, we receive between 35 50 persons daily. Thanks. And
1: how does that help people?
3: Auriculotherapy, you can treat for any illness at all, for uh, pain in the joints, muscles, uh, blood sugar, pressure, arthritis, stress, depression, whatever. The more common things are mental health situations like a lot of depression, stress, anxiety. But a lot of baby boomers and up have a lot of blood sugar problems also. Heart problems, so we treat them for that.
1: And of course, they go to you because they can access exactly. the services. They will normally ask if things were in their proper place. Exactly. And how do you see Puerto Rico right now? Six months after, has it gotten any better? Does people have more electricity? Does people are have access to water? You know, at this point in time, we expect things will be a lot better, no?
3: Yeah, yeah. We well, I don't know if I would have expected that um, because of well <laughs> I know how the government works in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of people could have hoped that in this point things were better. But it's not the case. As I was talking to you earlier, the data that the government gives us is not very accurate. So What we know is what we see in our daily basis, and what we see is that the majority of the people in Puerto Rico still without any electricity at all, specifically in the countryside, and they're having some troubles also with water. So, yeah, um, the situation is not good at all.
1: So all those horrible videos that we saw right after Maria people washing in the river and doing all kinds of contraptions to get water. That is still happening.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wow. We're getting, like, back in time, mm-hmm. like, during the 50s or 30s, like, how my grandmother or my great-grandmother, you know, do some things, like going to the river to get some water or clean their clothes. People are, like, trying to to do that again, or they're doing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So the political situation in Puerto Rico. I've been following the news, and I've been reading about how the laws are eroding people's benefits. The workers are standing to lose benefits. Do you know more about that?
3: Yeah. Actually, uh, I can tell that from 15, 20 years back, it's been receiving a lot of hits in terms of working class uh, benefits and, and rights. Our political situation in Puerto Rico, it's kind of the same of the states in terms that only two parties have ruled the island since the 50s when the election started. So the party that is ruling now is the more aggressive neoliberal party. They privatize without any hesitation at all. And yeah, they cut workers' rights very easily. You know, They don't care about the reaction of the public. The other party, the colonial one, they are neoliberals, but there they take a little bit more care about how people will react to their policies. So yeah, right now it's the pro-statehood party, the more radical in terms of right wing, and yeah, they're passing a lot of laws that benefits the rich, the banks, the insurance industry, and all the industry that benefits from tourism, like big hotel corporations. They're giving them a lot of exemptions. That they pay. I mean, the government is paying half the wages of the workers for those big corporations that, yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, Yeah, and sometimes they pay the the water or the electricity also, the government, for those corporations. That's on
1: top of giving them tax exemptions and all kinds of benefits. Exactly, exactly. But I understand that that's just not the government. It's la Junta de Control Fiscal, the Fiscal Control Board. I know that we're doing this long time ago, but it's much more critical now after 2016, where the again the Fiscal Control Board created by Promesa, right?
3: Correct. Um, yeah, it's important for me to to put in the, in context that um, that name, the Fiscal Board, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It's an euphemism for a dictatorship, a civil dictatorship of seven people that are, were not put uh, by elections from the people that is living in Puerto Rico. And basically they have all control of our economy and they can put or, or quit any executive from any public agency. They haven't exercised like all their power yet. But the law gives them that power. Yeah. So, yeah, well, the government and the, and the junta are basically on the same page for the press. They play, like, good cup, bad cup That's sometimes, you know. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, know, we know, yeah, we know, like, well, that, yeah. you know.
1: We had a previous interview with Ricardo, and he was talking about how the government has less power than the fiscal control board. So they basically can't tell them, now you're going to do this law and you're going to approve this because we say so. Exactly. And because we're going to benefit the people that we care about, which is not the Puerto Ricans. Exactly. Of course. I'm very worried about how they came up with a project to criminalize protest hmm. in the U.S. territory. Yeah. It's shocking. It's shocking that they know that people are not going to be happy with what they're proposing. So, mm-hmm. In order to take care of that ahead of time, they're going to say, you know what, and you can't go out in the street and and tell us what you think about it.
3: Yeah, it goes hand in hand with the regressive policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it's not anything new. That's something that we activists and organizers could expect from this government. The protests are also getting hotter. People are, are, are very mad with reason, of course. We have less capacity to access health, education, public transportation at all. Basically, everything is privatized right now. Now they want to privatize the public schools with the charter schools. They want to privatize the electric agency. They also want to close the University of Puerto Rico, which is public. It has 11 campuses. They want to shut down a couple of them. That is not new in terms of that the government wishes to do that. But in this context of after Maria and all the, you know, like there was a shock to the society following the, the theory of uh, Naomi line of Shock Doctrine. They are trying to pass right now like a lot of ugly policies against uh, people's needs, the ones that uh, criminalized protest the the free speech. That is one of the of, of those policies. Wow.
1: Well, let's take a break, and we're gonna come back.
0: Dorin que quiero cantarte versos ofrecerte mi suelo.
1: listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM, and that was Borinquen. By now, you know Borinquen is the indigenous name of Puerto Rico, right? So that artist is Manicato, the San Francisco-based Boricua group we've been listening tonight. Now let's continue our conversation with Daniel Orsini. I asked him if the Centers for Mutual Aid are becoming a movement.
3: What do you think, Daniel? Okay, I can I can tell that the Centros de Apoyo Mutuo, the camps, um, are maybe one of the things that are going on in Puerto Rico. And, of course, I am working in it, so I believe in it, mm-hmm. in that uh, strategy, because it's a strategy for us to build people's power. It's not, nothing new in terms of history. We are following the steps of what the Young Lords and the Black Panthers did, we are following some steps of the Zapatista movement in Mexico. Uh, we're following the steps of the Movimentos Sin Tierra de Brasil. Mm-hmm. So we're, like, seeing a lot of movements all around the world and some some of our own history of what has been going on or what has been done in Puerto Rico. And we're, like, taking, you know, some of the those, let's say, that practices we bring it in practice so yeah we believe that working with people in their own needs like self-managing projects that gives people what they need can help in bringing them together mm-hmm. in a society that has been brainwashed a lot and has been told that they can not do things by their own that they need uncle sam to get anywhere or if not uncle sam they need like the local government because without the Big Papa or Big Mama government, we can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So they basically have unmobilized the society or the peoples of Puerto Rico. Uh, Yeah, they have created a colonial mentality. And it's a very difficult thing to work with because it extends in so many ways, like in cultural ways that we behave, you know, in a daily basis so yeah in a humble way we are trying to learn uh in practice like day to day because we (laughs) we know we don't necessarily know what we're doing but yeah we are doing things Mm -hmm. uh to try to help change things in puerto rico for the better of 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 the majority so
1: how did you guys start this project
3: yeah before maria i was working with this organization that is called, se- well, the, the Centro para el Desarrollo Político, Educativo y Cultural. That's a uh, Center, Center for, for the Political, Political Educational, okay. and Cultural Development. Exactly. Okay? Okay. So uh, that's a non-profit organization that... Promotes the projects that you know promote the education, culture, uh, culture, and, and political formation. So it's like a project of projects. So basically, the the main project or the first project that was developed by the CDEPEC, uh, it's called uh, Comedores Sociales de Puerto Rico. Uh, Comedores Sociales was basically like a popular um, kitchen based on the campuses of the University of Puerto Rico. And they have like the same philosophy that we have now in camp, in terms of everyone that goes to the comedor eats, okay? Mm -hmm. But in order for the comedores to continue the work, uh, we need help, some type of- Retribution. Exactly. So we ask them that uh, they can help us, uh, giving us what they can in terms of monetary, Mm-hmm. They can also give us some material in like rice, beans, whatever. And they can also help us with work time. So that cultural thing is like breaking with the capital ways of doing things that capital only knows money. So if you go to a store, if you go to a McDonald's, for example, and you want a Big Mac and it costs six bucks or eight and you only have four, you can have the Big Mac. So we are like challenging that cultural, yeah. Construction. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. we are trying to create other forms of... uh, Currency. uh Uh-huh. We're going back to the Tainos, (laughs) to Uh the Native Indians. Trueque. Trueque, right. Mm -hmm. We have been doing that for four years. After Hurricane Maria, we were thinking what we can do now. You know, All the social and political spectrum changed dramatically, not only the infrastructure. Um, basically, we lived in a state without a state like for two weeks probably. Like no police around, no, one, so no presence of government around. You can basically do whatever you want and you would not have anything Trouble. exactly. So we were thinking like what we can do. Our natural reflex was to make a popular kitchen. So we call and, uh, well, not call because there were no telephone at that time. We go house to from house, you know, looking for some comrades to see if they were interested in doing that project. So we start giving that service the eighth day after Maria, basically in the center of, of the, the city of Caguas. We, like, transport all the philosophy of the Commander Sociales to the Centro de Apoyo Mutuo, and we started.
1: You're still there. Yeah. <laughs> Six months after. Six months after. And it's after. not getting any easier.
3: <laughs> not at all, no. This, I imagine.
1: Yeah. So what can we do to support you?
3: Well, uh, thanks for that question. Mm-hmm. Well, Muy importante. See, uh, A lot of people are going to the island and helping us because we have a lot of work to do. Right now, the Centro Apoyo Mutuo is in another space where we were first doing it. We moved in the like the second month, probably. We we start like searching for spaces because we're re- we were renting, but we see that there were so much spaces abandoned like for more than a decade, and we were thinking like, well, we need to occupy it. We need to rescue it. That's how we we call it like a rescue because. No one is using it, so we can get it uh, for the people, you know? Mm -hmm. So we rescue a 30-year-old abandoned building that it was, this is kind of poetic, it was a social security. Office. (laughs) So right now, like, the, the security for the society is given by the people, not by the federal government. So yeah, we occupied it uh, even though it wasn't that bad. Yeah, we needed to scratch the surface of the walls on the roof. We need to paint it. We need to access water, electricity. So we need like electric plants. So we're still in that process of making the space more livable. Yeah. Because it's so big, we divide it. We have like a very nice place for the comedor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is another space that is for future they projects. Uh, we're looking forward to make uh, like our own radio station, probably, because we need to guarantee that the people's voices are heard. So we don't we don't have that right now. We want to make like a community library. Uh, all of these educational proposals of privatizing the children are not getting the best education in schools. So we're trying to see how we can help the children to get a um, better education, if not in the school, outside the school. So, is there a place where people
1: can send donations that will go directly to this organization?
3: Yeah, uh, we have a PayPal. Uh huh. The email is cdpec. C
1: D P E C.
3: Uh huh. P R. At gmail.com.
1: At
3: gmail.com. This is a PayPal account. You can send money to that account. Mm-hmm. And as I was telling, if maybe you want to go to Puerto Rico and help us out doing whatever, because some, for example, there have been technicians like civil engineers and Some people that know biologists, that they can tell us the water, if it's good or no. Mm
1: -hmm. So if you have skills to offer or you have money to donate, please go to...
3: Um, You can donate some money to a PayPal account, cdpecpr at gmail.com. And it goes C as a cat, D as a dog, P as Peter, E as elephant, C as a cat... As Puerto Rico at gmail.com.
1: We're going to put it on the links Please. for you to access much more easily. And this model of the Centers for Mutual Support, I understand, is replicating. How is that happening?
3: Yeah. In the second week, I believe, of the beginning of the camp in Caguas, we knocked some doors of other comrades from the metropolitan area and all around the island for us to have a meeting. We wanted to propose to the organizers and the activists this strategy of building people's power through centros de apoyo mutuo all around the island. So from that meeting, camps start popping out the week after, and right now, throughout the island, we have, uh, I believe, like eight or nine. That includes Vieques Island. Mm-hmm. So for us, it has been a very, very incredible uh, thing, but at the same time, it's for us convincing that the, our strategy has f- something good in it.
1: Mm-hmm. It works. <laughs> it wouldn't be spreading if it doesn't work. It's doing what it needs to do.
3: Yeah, like, At least it, it's making sense to people. Yeah. That's what we are seeing.
1: Thank you for being with us.
3: Thank you for your invitation and for receiving me here. It's my first time in the west side of the States, and it's very nice, even though it's very cold. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's nice.
1: Not tropical weather
3: at all. <laughs> Not at all.
1: No. Thank you again. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Please visit our webpage, kpfaprentice.org, for more information and links. And of course, tune in next week to Full Circle as we discuss the case of Ahed Tamimi, a Palestinian political prisoner who just turned 17 behind bars. Our executive producer is Ms. M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. I've been your host, Laura Chegaray. thanks to Darlene on the board and our tech assistance from Apprentice Group 43. And thank you for joining us on Full Circle. Stay tuned, La Onda Bajita is next.